What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host, the BFF champion, Miss Natalie Zamudio. Hey, Double G. Good evening. Happy Tuesday. How are you doing, man? I am good. It was a great weekend of MMA. I got to enjoy UFC 243. I was in Temecula for Bellator 229. I'm not going to lie, that was a long drive, but it was uh, it was a good night. It's, it was a very nice weekend. I was very busy. What about you? Uh, yeah, well, I watched uh, the fights on TV, and um, I was bummed to see Joe Schilling lose. Did you get a chance to talk to him? Uh, out there, Joe, no. did, Joe did not talk to us, but I did talk to Tony Johnson. Um, I know people love Joe for good reason, but Tony was a nice dude. It was just two talented guys, and Joe, it just wasn't Joe's night. But no, it was, man, that was the knockout of the, the weekend, arguably. Yeah, that was tough, man, because he was, he was doing, he was doing all right, but he gets a little excited and then, and then that's it. It's just, uh, it seems to happen quite a bit. These, uh, Except for his last fight, these days with him in MMA. Yeah, and then um, obviously, so, uh, and then we won't have as much time, you know, for Bellator with so much UFC stuff going on. But if you haven't seen it, the Lorenz Larkin Andre Koreshkov fight, that was some fireworks. That was one of the, uh, you know, people aren't going to like this because we're going to go off on Israel Adesanya and how awesome that was. But Larkin versus Koreshkov was probably the fight of the weekend. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, before we move on, it is October 8th. Natalie, out of curiosity, are you one of those people who's going to dress yourself up and make your stomach part of your uh, your costume? Oh, sir. Uh, I believe not. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I've, um, I've definitely seen some of those t-shirts on the old maternity websites, and uh, I just scroll right on past them. I don't think I'm going to... I don't think I'm going to do anything, but... Um, you know what? Well, you never know. I might change my mind last minute. So maybe you'll see a, a giant pumpkin on my stomach. I'm tempted to buy you one just to just to make it, just to try to will it into just existence. Me and my baby. I mean, he won't know. No, oh, but no. um, look, uh, fun stuff. I mean, it's feeling more like fall, and that's a little depressing. But I know a lot of people like this time of year, so I get it. Let's get into the fights. That's what everybody came for. UFC 243, Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya. You know what? I was looking back on talking to Israel. I thought about everything I felt about this fight. I wanted more MMA. I think everyone did. I want to separate myself. I want to just talk about the fight. I think the biggest thing about this, Robert Whitaker clearly wanted to try to emulate Kelvin Gastelum but use more power I think that was apparent he was trying to make it dirty and I think the thing that impressed everybody even if you were a fan of Adesanya um I think a lot of people expected him to maybe get in and out try to work Whitaker from the outside the places where he did the damage that led to the end of the fight was staying right in the pocket and really a lot of people would think that's exactly where Israel does not want to be that's where Robert Whitaker can really put damage on him. And a lot of people gave the straight power advantage and knockout power to Whitaker. But the fact that it was Adesanya, he was still just, you know, that just use of that distance. You know, Karen Bryan mentioned it, just the control of his body to get to move himself, but stay in position to counterattack. That was just brilliant. He was on fire. Um, just really a impressive performance. He didn't take too much damage. He um, peppered Whitaker throughout the fight, obviously the late one in the first round, but the second round, I think it was clear that Robert Whitaker was a little compromised, if not out of the fight, but he he was a little stunned, I think, by the turn of events. I think that was a little apparent in his body language. What are your thoughts on Israel's performance? I, I like what you say about how he controlled his body, because that was that was what stood out to me. The way he was bending, swaying backwards at the waist, and he was still eating punches, but just at the very end of Whitaker's reach. But he would counter with some real, some real heat, and we saw it twice significantly at the end of the first round, and then his finishing punches in the second round. Both were off of 
a deep sway back and then looping counter punches uh, to return. So that was the most impressive thing to me. I, I do actually agree with Whitaker who said, hey, I, I, felt, I felt great, best shape ever. I, I feel like I fought well. I think he did. He was aggressive, pressing, pressing the action, landing, but again, at the end of his punches, not really hurting Adesanya, who was super evasive, who was matrixing in there, you know, like dodging bullets, basically. He was like bending to and fro. He was cutting beautiful angles, too. Um, it was just very skillful, and he was patient. You know, if you go look at the first round, there wasn't a whole lot of offense from Adesanya. It was more like reading, feeling out moving around to see how Whitaker would react to specific types of, of changes in direction and then staying in control of his body, swaying back and landing those punches. So it was, it was Adesanya using Whitaker's own momentum against him really to knock him down twice and then ultimately win the fight. So very impressive, but, but not something that I, if I'm Whitaker, I'm not, I'm not hanging my head over that performance. There's a lot you can learn about watching it back. And, and do better the next time. But his game plan to me was, was solid. It was, it was, you know, a fair game plan for someone like Israel Adesanya. Yeah. You know what? I think it was just one of those things. Um, sometimes you're just on and sometimes you're just really, truly on fire. And I really think that's what it was for Israel before we talk about the future. Cause that's obviously a big deal. Um, the walkout. I think that that stole the show more than the fight. Israel's walkout. Um, for the record, I was impressed. Uh, I know some people were hating on it. They feel like it's a distraction. Some guys, I think, gotta pump themselves up to perform like they're in the zone. Johnny Walker is a, the same kind of way. I love that walkout. I think that is that was Israel getting himself ready to own the show, own the weekend, really ascend to that level. Uh, I, I loved it. And also, not for nothing, that was some good dancing. I love the little details. They kind of harken back all those moments. Israel from the anime doing the, you know, waving them on. The fact that his dancers actually did the Naruto run back into the tunnel was a nice touch. I, I loved it. I think it was really indicative of his personality, which... We discuss it all the time. If you could get people invested in that, that's what takes you from being another exciting fighter to, you know, pay-per-view, get invested, break the bank on uh, being a household name. So what were your thoughts on that? I thought it was fun. I thought it was ballsy. I mean, you really putting yourself out there when you, when you enter your fight with that much flash. Because if you lose, it's embarrassing. But he seems to be the type of person that that is motivated by having a lot of fun. I mean, he said as much leading up to the fight. I want to have fun. I want to be relaxed. And, and there are very few people for whom that strategy works. And, and, and especially to this degree, you know, like choreographed dancing to enter the fight. But I mean, it's just, it's ballsy. And so interesting for me is that I watched this backwards. I watched the main event just the um, the actual fight. So they've already, they've already been announced and everything. And it was just, you know, start, start fighting round one. Then I was looking on Twitter and people were commenting on the opening on the walkout. So I had to go back and watch it. So I had a different experience with it because I know if I'd seen it live in that way, in that order, I would have been really, really nervous for Adesanya entering that way and then having to live up to it in the cage. But, but he did. And so if I'm Whitaker, Hmm. It's kind of it might sting a little bit more to know that he was so comfortable and so relaxed about uh, you know to get in the cage to face me that he even had time to choreograph a dance routine and uh, and it's like damn okay <laughs> he he didn't fear me at all and that's something to think about. Yeah, I heard this about the conversation is that now that uh, I'll be honest with you, on, you're very right on the Whitaker stuff. I'll call this uh, a game changer. Because I really do feel like this is now the bar. This is now the walkout against which all other, quote, special walkouts are, you know, are measured against. And look, there have been a bunch of good ones. Conor McGregor with the 229 and or even the Chad Mendes walkout were both pretty good. When you see Anderson or Ronda Rousey when they were walking out and they were making history, 
those are pretty epic for the uh, the energy that they seem to bring. But really, in terms of the pageantry and the showmanship, this is really on another level. I thought about this, and I was like, okay, look, for the real quick, not everybody can do a super walkout like, like Israel, so I hope not everyone starts to try. But if more people want to make something happen, I'm all for it too. But I want to put this idea in your head before we talk about the future. What do you think about, we have this for this fight. Let's say Johnny Walker fights John Jones, Raider Stadium, Las Vegas. How does Johnny Walker top Israel Adesanya's walkout? Maybe some carnival, you know, type uh, type entrance. I don't know. I think um, there's definitely a lot of options. I just don't know his like beyond the beyond what I see in the cage. I don't know his personality. I don't know if he has any extracurricular activities or anything that would that would suit a, a really cool walkout. But I mean, you can do anything. So it would be cool if. I guess I'm more excited to see if the UFC continues supporting this kind of this kind of um, showmanship. I think it's great. You know, they already they're already trapped in these dumb uniforms, and and we already lost some personality from that a few years ago. They wouldn't even let you like come out in your initially when they changed the uniforms, like you couldn't come out in a different hat, and and then they sort of eased back on those restrictions, right? Like Jessica Andrade could come out in her headdress and and Khabib in his, in his furry hat. But this is like, I would like to know actually behind the scenes if there was any pushback from the UFC when Adesanya approached them with this, if it was him speaking directly, if it was a manager. I think he signed with Paradigm, I think. I don't know if that was before or after this. So that's what I'm kind of also curious about because UFC is not, you know, they, they, like, to, they like to keep a tight, rain on their fighters with certain exceptions and then they let them go go crazy but i first i do want to see more of it and second i want to know how uh, how it all went down and how resistant the ufc was initially real quick i'm gonna go on the record i say johnny walker it's vegas calls Siegfried and roy asked to borrow their tigers for a walkout i say let's really let, let's you really he, you think he rides the tiger out I would pay good. I would pay half the pay per view just to watch that. But um, you know, I feel like Johnny Walker saw Israel Adesanya, and everyone's saying best walkout there will ever be, and he's like, "Hold my beer." I feel <laughs> like he saw that and got that idea. You should um, walk out with the Raider girls then, or something. You know. I like where your head's at, Natalie. <laughs> I like how you're thinking. Now, um, in terms of pushback. You gotta be in Israel Adesanya, and it's gotta be a big event. I'm not just talking a regular pay-per-view. I'm talking big stadium, big numbers, big history, big fight circumstances to have that walkout. I think that if you're not at that level, and you know when you are, and you know when you're not, that's the criteria for getting the Israel Adesanya treatment. But, you know, for example, no one this Saturday in Tampa should be trying that, plain and simple. <laughs> I, and Joanna got moves. I'm not saying she couldn't, but this this Saturday is not the night for that, Joanna. Sorry. <laughs> you know. By the way, you know, the big fan. Anyway, uh, let's talk about it. Paulo Costa is there. Um, I don't think there's anybody else. The only way that it is not Costa versus Adesanya is if someone gets hurt or something of that nature. Um, in which case, Jared Kenanier has all the evidence to be the backup, which I'm okay with. But I think that the noise and the momentum is for Costa. My thing is that uh, I believe Izzy when he says he wants to be active. I feel like it really depends what is the UFC now planning to do. I don't think Costa versus Israel is another stadium show. And I know that's saying a lot because Israel has never been more popular right now. But I feel like there's just not enough of that... Uh, I, I feel like Costa still needs to do a little bit to be that kind of guy to hold up the other side on the gate, so to speak. Yeah, so. there's not enough big story there. Like, Adesanya was this star on the rise. Whitaker was this tough and gritty champion. But the thing that really brought them together was Australia versus New Zealand. And yeah. that, that doesn't exist yet with Paulo Costa. 
Yeah, so I would say that, say that um, personally, personally, I think the March pay-per-view, they tend to stack that one pretty good, or April. So historically, there have been those big ones, you know, in Las Vegas in March, maybe Brooklyn about March, where they have, you know, several title fights in one night. So you don't necessarily have to wait till July International Fight Week. I feel like Izzy versus Costa could headline that. And I think it really, de put it this way, both of those cards tend to be stacked. I feel like Israel headlines the one that John Jones probably doesn't. Because I feel like that's where we're going to see John is March or April. You're probably right. But based on how John Jones has been responding on Twitter lately, I kind of would like to see them on the same card. Just for the media buildup, the press conference, whatever they might do. That would be very interesting. So, Not a bad idea. I, I don't know. I feel like... I feel like that's playing with a little too much fire. <laughs> it uh, is. That's why I know, that's, <laughs> that's a very, you know, that's a very volatile, you know, situation. But not, you know, crazier things have happened. But for my money, I think they put them on a March pay-per-view in Vegas. They stack it up. They put another champion on there. Maybe Triple C coming back. Maybe something of that nature. But I, that's what I expect we're going to see the Costa Adesanya. I feel like there's just... Him versus Jones in the future would be a stadium show too, but like you said, just not enough there for another one immediately. So yeah, but definitely look, good stuff. Dan Hooker had another good performance. Megan Anderson returned to form. Um, all the city kickboxing guys um, under their coach uh, um, really performed. Well. Yes, I was like, why is not rolling off the tongue? Yes, Eugene Behrman, yeah, it, Great performance, great breakout for the guys. Um, Eugene is right there with Eric Albaracin for Coach of the Year. So, look, New Zealand had a breakout night, I, you know, for sure. And I don't think you can understate that. I think that that really says a, it's all about building the sport, right? And that took everyone a big step forward. And I think that that's going to be a really huge night. So I think it was just a good one all around to see from that perspective. But, yeah, good stuff. Uh, Natalie, there's just a lot of MMA going on this week, and it is almost it is almost giving me a headache about where to start. <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, we're actually going to go back to pro wrestling because I saw this and I was shocked in the best way possible. Kane Velasquez withdraws from USADA, and it seems because he's going to be entering the WWE. Now, as big as... Uh, Australia was apparently at the Staples Center Smackdown made their you know WWE Smackdown made their debut on Fox they had a show that looks like it was bonkers and what happens in the final minute Kane Velasquez comes out with Rey Mysterio comes out and just smacks around Brock Lesnar seems to set the stage for his own debut I mean first off you see this I know you've seen the clip like I have what do you think of how this went down? Yeah, it was a surprise to me too because, look, I, I'm a I'm a WWF gal, so from back in the day, and I didn't watch WWE until Ronda Rousey came back, and I watched the whole full year that she was in. Once she was out, I kind of fell off of it. So I knew this was happening as far as SmackDown being on Fox and all this, but but I was a little behind. I think I didn't see anything until the next day, mid midday, and my jaw dropped. Uh, I think it's a, it's a genius move by WWE, by Kane Velasquez. We're going to get to see a rematch between two huge stars in a different, in a different type of ring, a different, in a different medium. And, uh, I mean, it's just genius. I, when I saw it, I was like, of course, this is so perfect. And, and, you know, there's always an opening there for DC who never got his shot at Brock in the UFC somewhere down the line to be thrown in the mix too. So the stories abound. It's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, I think that, um, look, it was very fun. And um, I'll tell you what, after this, I'll tell you my long-awaited CM Punk story. I've been saving it for a special <laughs> circumstance. We're finally there, Natalie. We're finally right. there in our relationship. I didn't want to tell you this. I tell it so often that I almost don't like to overdo it. 
I know people, if you've followed the show, you've heard me say it. Um, I want to talk about Kane a little more, though. Um, withdrawing from USADA. I am going to say, a lot of people are immediately going to say, well, is that because he wants to get on the juice and be, you know, Brock Lesnar size for WWE? I would like to point out that if you are a WWE person, they are in like a different big city every week for multiple shows. I think that it's just more, you know, a little uh, ineffective to be giving USADA your location and traveling that often. And I think that may be a big part of the reason why, not necessarily something else. However, you know, assuming this is true, that would say the end of uh, Kane Velasquez in UFC. If this is it, if Kane says, I'm done, it's time for me to try something new while the strike while the iron is hot, what do you think is Kane Velasquez's legacy in MMA? I think it's still super strong. He's still one of the one of the best UFC heavyweights. Extremely li likable, popular, and I think weirdly taking this detour through WWE and potentially facing Brock again. I don't know. I don't have anything cool to say like to why I feel this way, but I feel like it enhances his UFC profile in some ways uh, because we get to see it again. Uh, this matchup. And Brock has this history with going back and forth between the two. And like I said, the DC thing. So for me, I don't think it hurts his legacy at all in the UFC. I think, I think it jacks it up a little bit because it keeps his name out there in a really fun way that's going to bring more fans to, to just to his brand. And then you never know. He might come back into the UFC someday the way Brock you know, came back at 200. Going back to the USADA thing. Honestly, my thought, I, it, I'm, so, I'm such a dork. It never occurred to me that he pulled out of USADA so he could juice. Um, I was just like, yeah, if you're not going to be fighting the UFC, why do you need to be giving your location to where you're going to be all the time? And your point is, is right on. They travel so much. They're like carnies in some respect. They're going from town to town. that It's just like a waste of energy and time to be updating your, your whereabouts to USADA if you're under contract to the WWE for, let's say, at least a year. It doesn't make any sense to be having to deal with that. Yeah, I think that um, it's just... If he knows that it's truly done, or, and, you know, for whatever reason, because what even GSP, he kept doing USADA. Why? To keep the door open. I feel like if he's knowing this, then it's because he feels like, you know what, I really... I'm jumping both feet in. No parachute, no life jacket. I'm here to swim with the sharks for real, so... That's what I'd imagine it's really coming from. In terms of his legacy, I mean, he, he goes down as one of the most dynamic heavyweights we've ever seen. Uh, everyone remembers the guy who was mauling, not just beating, mauling JDS, Bigfoot Silva, Brock. Um, just his run to the title was so impressive. He just was so dominant. Um, he really was that guy, and... You know, people talk about Stipe Miocic, best heavyweight ever. I think that that, unfortunately, is that thing that's always going to follow Cain Velasquez, is that we're always going to ask, what if he never got hurt? What if he never hurt the shoulder, the back, the knee, the, you know, the neck, I believe, at one point? Um, you know, like a Dominic Cruz, unfortunately, he was one of those guys at the top of his game. He'd come back and he'd still look at the top of his game. But then the injuries and the time off added up, added up, added up. And he really did, I hate to say it so bluntly, but it seemed like he crossed that point of no return that it's like the story, ha the storyline had moved on. The game, you know, there's so many other players that it's like now Kane wasn't the guy we were waiting to come back. Now he was the guy who had to introduce himself back to the mix. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but I, I agree with you. If he does WWE, it only makes him a bigger deal. And it only makes his UFC run all the more impressive. I will say this, you know, a healthy Ken Velasquez still causes headaches in today's UFC. And he causes headaches for Volkov, Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou, JDS, Alistair Overeem, um, Stipe, you know. However, you look at it, the big difference between WWE and UFC, you, besides the obvious... <laughs> is that 
in WWE, you know the hits are coming. If you're putting Cain Velasquez in there with Stipe Miocic, you think he is not about to chew up that knee violently? That is something that the WWE guys aren't going to do. Yes, they're going to still try to smack and slam and throw him. But if you know the guy's knee is bad and you're, you know, and you're choosing to hit the head, you know, ironically, that's beneficial to you. Stipe and the UFC guys aren't, you know, in that business. And so for Kane to make the decision, I can't say I blame him. We've seen his uh, wrestling videos. He's fantastic. And I think that when you talk about his age, where's he at? You ask him, Kane, do you want to try to make another run in UFC in this game? Or do you want to jump into this where, the, like I said, the iron is hot? I hate to say it, but I think it's just a no-brainer if you're Kane Velasquez. Why wouldn't you? Why would you go back? It's literally, how lucky are you that you get this opportunity? And yeah. he, may, he may love to fight. He still has fight left in him. But the fact is, anyone could see why this is a great decision for him if that's his, that's what he's choosing to do. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's, it has to be better money. Especially because it's, it's for an extended period of time, not just like fight by fight, and then if you get injured, you're, you're out. He's probably, he's got to have some kind of like at least year-long deal. So, so there's that. You're going to get so much exposure that you wouldn't be getting with the UFC, even though they are the biggest MMA promotion around. WWE is still bigger. That's just how it is. And yeah, the thing about knowing when the punches are coming does, does, does make a difference. I do worry, not worry, but like when I would watch Ronda Rousey wrestle, I mean, it's very violent. Like no matter, no matter, you know, when the, the punches and throws and slams are coming, you're still getting punched. You're still getting slammed. You're still getting thrown into into padded mats, into the uh, you know the, the canvas, the ropes, off of the ropes. Your head, your brain is still bouncing around. Your skull in there. So there's probably still a bunch of concussions. But yeah, there's definitely something to knowing they're coming, preparing your body for them, and also having essentially a partner in there with you that's working with you to put on a great show, but fully aware of what's off limits, what's what's a green light. So. For someone who's so injury prone, my first thought was, wow, that doesn't really make sense that he would go into wrestling. But you bring up a good point, and and, and clearly his body's okay because he is doing some crazy stuff in there. Let me ask you the most difficult question. What is Cain Velasquez's UFC career like if he never got hurt? I think he, I think he would have probably won the belt again. Um, so he lost to Fabrizio Verdum, but I, he already had a layoff from, he, he was already laid off for a while there because of an injury, I think. Right. Yep. So I think, I think he still would have lost the belt at some point. That's just the nature of the division. I also think also the nature of the division is that he would have won the belt back. So injury or not, I think, I think he would have, he would have, um, had an ebb and flow, you know, he wouldn't have had this like long reigning dominance. It's just too hard to do in the heavyweight division. But he would have found success again. He would have been at the top for a long time. I mean, all these heavyweights that we've been watching for like decades are still in the top 10. So uh, an injury-free cane is still floating around in the top there. The only thing I wonder is, would DC have ever moved up to heavyweight if Kane stayed? And probably not. <laughs> he, I don't he wouldn't yeah. have. Um, when I replay it, when I think about it, Cain Velasquez, like, so what's the one? Uh, he got hurt before the Verdum fight. You know what? Cain Velasquez never would have lost to Verdum. He would have beat Overeem, Francis Ngannou. Maybe he would have had an epic trilogy with Stipe. I feel like that's what we would have seen. I feel like it would have gone like that. You know, maybe John Jones moves up and fights him. I feel like had he never gotten hurt, he would have notched those few more that would have made him the legend. And not that he's not a superstar now, but those injuries just came in moments where it felt like he was right there to really put it together to make that history. And look, 
Stipe is the one who got the numbers, right? He's the one who recorded the record for most title defenses, etc. But yeah, I, I always felt like a healthy Kane who never got hurt. Like the guy we saw dominate, Travis Brown, JDS. That guy would have added to, the, to his legacy in a crazy way. I always felt that. But it's just one of those things, you know, we, we say the same about Dominic Cruz. It's just one of those things that, um, you know, and that's why when guys demand more money, this is exactly why. You never know what could happen. But yeah. um, look, uh, definitely look, it, I'm ready for it. I feel like we're setting up for a big storyline with Kane and maybe a WrestleMania tag team with DC. By that time, DC is probably retired after the fight with the Trilogy with Stipe. I'm here for it. I'm ready for it. Let's have some fun. I'm glad both of these guys have opportunities where they can make money, so I'm with it. Let's move on a little bit. We have a very interesting story. The fight that has been rumored for Combate Americas for a long time, Tito Ortiz and former WWE superstar, ironically, Alberto Del Rio, is set. It is going to be on December 7th in Hidalgo, Texas. But here's the twist. It is going to be on pay-per-view. So let's talk about the facts. First off, both men, this is not throwing shade. This is facts. They are in their 40s. Del Rio has not fought since 2010. This will be Ortiz's third return from retirement. So there's a lot to be said about the level of competition. I think that's one of the obvious questions everyone has going into it. But the price point, it is going to be $39.99, which is the same as Liddell Ortiz 3 last year for Golden Boy. But the interesting wrinkle is that you know last month, Combate actually parted ways with DAZN. So right now they don't have an English broadcast partner. It's just in Spanish on Univision. So I don't know how big the pay-per-view was in terms of the business side of things. I am imagining that this is exactly why they did part ways with DAZN because DAZN with Canelo, Triple G, Anthony Joshua is still not a pay-per-view. They don't do they're not in that business. So if that was one of the sticking points, I get how this deal might have fallen apart. But I think that this makes it very interesting now because now it's not just the fight. People have an opinion about the fight and where these men are at in their careers. But now it's like no matter what you watch, the story is going to be you saw that for that price. And that makes it very interesting. So I want to get your thoughts on just the business decision that they made with this one. I think it's insane, man. I actually didn't know about them parting ways with the zone. So I was, I was very surprised, shocked to see that and disappointed. Uh, I have to, I mean, I, I don't know why they would do it. If it's really just because they wanted to do this one pay-per-view, that's, that's strange. There has to be some other reason. I don't understand. It was a good platform for them, but specifically to the business aspect of this pay-per-view, this fight being a pay-per-view at this price point, insane. I, I, it's like Tito Ortiz is still enough of a name that, that couldn't you have, couldn't you have like secured like a free TV deal, like a one-off free TV deal. If you still have Univision, you know, it's for English language. Um, but pay-per-view that makes zero sense to me. Like, $40 for that fight. I assume there's going to be, it's going to be a full combate card and not just, you know, them as the main event, but I can't get past that number. I don't know. I don't know what Callum McLaren's thinking, why they, why they feel that's the right price point. You can buy a lot of cheeseburgers. You can buy a lot of things for $40. You can buy a lot and of pizza, especially lot of from, pizza. Domino, from Domino's too. Don't get Domino's, me started. You can at least get like five, Maybe six pizzas if you get a, if you get a good coupon <laughs> um, for forty dollars. So for me, it's a hundred percent like no, I'm not going to pay thirty nine ninety nine to watch this pay per view. Maybe at nine ninety nine, I would have done it. And nine ninety nine isn't an embarrassing price point. I think it's fair. Uh, I, I think to me, I just don't know why. I think to me, the big thing that I go back to is that. Unfortunately, if this was a new thing and they're trying it, okay, but respectfully, Golden Boy just tried this. It did not work. 
And that was with a legendary A-side with Chuck in, you know, on the other half with Tito. And, you know, look, not, not to throw shade. If these guys want to fight and there's a promotion giving it to them, by all means, I'm ready to watch the TV. But I feel like, you know, it's very tough. And I understand Del Rio brings in a different demographic, you know, from Latin America, from the WWE. But I also think that there's certain things you have to acknowledge. For example, they are trying this at a time when both... Look, last year, we weren't even watching pay-per-views on ESPN Plus, Natalie, when the Golden Boy card aired. Now you yeah. have Bellator on the zone. You have, um, by the way, the boxing on the zone, which people still want to see there, Canelo and Anthony Joshua and everybody else this fall. Um, they have uh, UFC on ESPN Plus every month. I'll, and mind you, by the way, not just the pay-per-views, you're still paying for your subscription. To now enter the pay-per-view market, to me, is a, the really tough one because I think that at a certain point, you're talking about the straw that breaks the camel's back. I feel like this is a very obvious one. And I think that that's the thing that, to me, leaves it very shocking. Um, once again, if all the money from it is going to them and people want to pay to watch it, all right, let's do it. But I can say, like, I feel like we know enough of the fan base that it is very tough to see how that goes down. Um, I do think, you know, once again, it comes down to stacking the card. But one of the things I think with Combate is that, you know, they do try to build up these big fights. I can say following them, I, you know, it's going to be a little tough to set it up, especially going into December. I think you're going to have to stack it with their champions. They're going to have to do a lot of things flipping the script, plain and simple. Now, that's not to say it's impossible. Obviously, just book the fighters and it's on. But it's going to be a very interesting project to watch now they are doing it in a smaller venue in texas i think that's a great move the gate obviously blows right through that for this event but once again it's about numbers and i feel like that's the big thing everyone's hovering over in terms of the fight i think that if you're gonna have it call it what it is this is exhibition this is not necessarily competition which i'm okay with watching WWE does a great job of doing this every week. But I think you've got to call it what it is if you're going to really win over the fans. And I think that's something that we have yet to see, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about Tito's opponent. And I really, I really honestly just, I do not. But if you tell me that, if you were to tell me that these men are basically on the same level as far as skills in MMA go, I would say, okay, we have a competition, a weak one, but competition nonetheless. But with, with this Del Rio gentleman not fighting since 2010, I mean, what is that, man? Like, was there really nobody else on earth to take a fight against Tito Ortiz? Or is this guy, and I'm just so out of the loop, is he really such a big enough name from coming over from WWE that, that it makes sense? you you got to educate me on this because I just can't wrap my brain around it. He is a big star. I think that for the biggest thing is he's actually fought MMA. He's got over 10 MMA fights. That's something that's going to be very hard to find. I think it's about the fact that you have to have a willing dance partner to promote the fight and to, you know, carry the show inside the cage, so to speak, in this case. So I think that's the only reason it comes together. I would not be surprised if there's a little bit of a handshake agreement. They're going to throw a bit. They're going to sweat a bit. They're going to get a few takedowns in. If Tito is honestly going in there to separate people from their senses, I will be a little concerned. Um, but once again, you know, these guys signed up for it. Okay. You know, this is what we have. Wasn't, uh, wasn't Tombstone Jones available for this one? <laughs> I mean, what, what, once again, why you got to go there? <laughs> I can't remember his first name. I you, you need to let him have his rematch with Jake Hager. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you are driving the train. It is on an abandoned track. But, you know, it is still running, just like, you know, many haunted trains are this time of year. So, by all means, you ring the whistle. 
Let's move on to okay. Let's move on to something more epic. One championships <laughs> doubleheader this Saturday slash Sunday. They have the most unique event. It is two cards essentially, twenty two fights between the two of them, and part one is gonna air live on TNT, going almost head to head with the UFC UFC Tampa. I think by the numbers, it technically will start a little bit after the Tampa card. Or, you know, it'll be starting up right as the main event, co-main are going. So, you know, a little bit, you know, this is finally their night, right? There's a lot of big names in action. Demetrius Johnson, Atomweight champion Angela Lee, their two-division champion Ong La and Song, um, and heavyweight champion Brandon Vera. Uh, Eddie Alvarez was supposed to compete in the lightweight final. He unfortunately got hurt, so that took a little spot off the shine. But this is one championship's 100th event. It's a big one. Um, Natalie, I want to talk to you about something. On Saturday, they had a fan fest. They had both a Street Fighter and a Tekken tournament. Why didn't you tell me about this? I was too busy competing, and I didn't have time to tell you. <laughs> no, I had no idea. Um, I mean, I feel like this is our dream vacation. Like, I know. <laughs> this is our buddy trip that we take every year to be nerds and have fun like this. Yep. What happened? We I don't know. We, we missed, missed the gold opportunity. So we should do our own here in LA. Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> no, but, um, okay. So look, obviously, you know, there's a lot of good MMA that's going to happen in terms of one championship. They are putting their best foot forward. They're having arguably all of their biggest names and best fighters competing on one night to celebrate one championship. Um, all of that is fantastic. I know that there's a lot of, well, you don't know who they are. That doesn't mean they don't kick ass, you know, and I think that's the big thing is that they are going to put their best foot forward. And if you tune in, even if you're not familiar with the names, you are going to see some big high quality MMA action from some very talented guys who, as we've seen, could easily compete in the UFC against the names that you're familiar with. All that is fine. They are competing on a very interesting night because they are coming off a long run of Bellator. UFC is happening. PFL is happening this week. In your opinion, what would be considered a success for one championship's 100th event? It's tough to say because I don't know what their numbers are. And, and really, I don't know the numbers for most of these promotions. You know, uh, going back to Combate, you had Campbell McLaren a few months ago hyping up the Univision numbers, right, for the viewership, like the live viewership at midnight on Univision. I mean, it it got enough attention that my mother randomly found it one night and told me, like, oh, I watched these really cool fights on Univision the other night. So, you know, clearly that that part of their programming is working. Um, what was like 500,000 or something? I don't know what the UFC considers a success these days. What's PFL pulling on ESPN, ESPN Plus? And so with one, especially with one, because they're really fond of hyperbole and always extolling like the potential viewers versus the actual number of viewers, right? Like potentially 1 billion viewers because it's like all of Asia. Respectfully, aren't they all? <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Everything is potentially seven billion views. Respectfully, uh, who doesn't do that? Yeah, so I get it. I hey, I would do it too. That's the first. I thing would I do would, it too. That's yeah, the I'm first not like thing actually I would say. knocking it, but you know, that's just one of the things that they get criticized for. Um, and like this is going to air on TNT, I guess, in an edited way, like it did the last time. I've been watching TNT TBS this week because of the MLB. I haven't seen a single commercial for for one for this event. So I really, I'm in the dark here on what a success means for them just through their app, what, what numbers, what, what numbers for them are, are a win, what numbers for them on the TNT Bleacher Report. Um, well, as I understand it, it's actually going to air live. That's why it's Is happening it in live? Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're going to go straight through to the morning, um, not on TNT at the DJ portion of the card ends on TNT, then they go on to um, the other half where I think they have Angla and uh, the other, I think Bibiano Fernandez is also fighting. Um, a lot of talent. Uh, I'll say this, in terms of the numbers, they're all hiding the numbers, which is very normal for these companies. And By the way, not just MMA. Ask Netflix what their numbers are. 
Right. It's like the yeah. recipe for Coca-Cola. They don't give it out. Um, but uh, I think that when you talk about one championship, it's very tif- difficult, right? Because their debut with DJ and Eddie, it, it stole the headlines. It's like, hey, this is this the new player? They're, they got DJ and everything. This Saturday, they don't necessarily have that. There's not the big... Put, putting these guys on TNT with Charles Barkley and them before NBA, which was awesome. They don't have as much of that. I think that when you're talking about what would be a success, if we're not talking about the numbers, it's about the engagement. It's about the genuine, general impact on the fan base. If Demetrius Johnson goes out there and freaking flying tomahawk, front flip, suplex, takedown, choke him out, and knock him out at the same time, finish... That is going to freaking steal the show of the weekend. You know, getting fans to say like, man, they would like, did you see it? No, I should have and blah, blah, blah. That is the impact. Getting the fans to watch is uh, tough enough. And we know that even UFC struggles with that. But I think it's about getting fans to acknowledge it. You, and also, you're trying to have a trickle-down effect. People who are tuning in, oh, I want to watch Demetrius. Well, they have a great co-main event that people are hoping you're watching and you're like, hey, who's Angela Lee and the storyline? She tried to get the other girl's title. Now the other girl wants her title, similar to Henry and TJ did a little bit in January. You know, you got to get the effect to happen because if people are tuning in to watch Demetrius, for example, you want all that to trickle down from the top. And I think that it comes down to having those moments. The fights have to deliver. They have to really be willing to put their best clips online even if people aren't watching on TNT or Bleacher Report because that's going to be how the fans acknowledge it. That's how going to be like, yo, what? wait, what's going on? I'm still at the house. Do I, can I turn this on? All of that. It's about making one relevant. Get people to say, man, I got to watch that one championship. People aren't going to be tuning into the Bleacher Report app overnight over this. Sadly, sad to say. But if you could get fans to start getting on the train, I think that's the that's a success. Personally, you got to have a show that has that bluntly delivers on a night where the UFC is also playing. That's going to be the key. You got to have big finishes and you got to get people talking about it, plain and simple. Yeah, I like your perspective on that because of, you know, if we're looking at the same night DJ is still the biggest MMA star, excuse me, MMA star compared to Joanna and Michelle Watterson, right? Even if he's not the UFC. And if he does do something that gets, that can be sold on Twitter and Instagram in like a 20 second clip that makes everybody go, wow, this is great. Then yeah, that is a win. That is a win for them for sure. He, he fought in August, which is, I know it's a tournament, so you kind of, it's actually a faster turnaround than, than the tournaments that we're seeing in PFL and Bellator. But, you know, and it was a unanimous decision, so he went all the way. Hopefully he's he's ready to go again. It's, it's Mighty Mouse, so I bet he is, but that's my only, like, tendential thought there about, about his potentially not having this great moment that could go viral because he's already been through a, a lot since uh, this year with the tournament. But yeah, that that would be great for them if they could get something something going viral that would super, I guess, supersede uh, the whatever impact Watterson and Jacek has on the same night. I w- I would like to point out it is not impossible. So to kind of go back full circle, we talked about Tito versus Chuck Liddell, right? Um, when we're talking about the Tito fight, if you yeah. remember, UFC had a card. Francis Ngannou delivered a big knockout that. Um, that same day in Japan on Fight Pass. What was the top story going into Monday? Chuck versus Tito. It is possible to steal the show in this landscape. But once again, it's got to be the right, you know, perfect storm going into it. I do think they have the potential. I'm not saying it's lightning in a bottle. Once again, though, it comes down to the fights. And I think that they are going to do everything. It's just up to the intangibles. What does happen when you lock the cage doors? So it's not impossible is my final point on that. Okay. I want to mention something real quick about the Tito Del Rio fight, even though we kind of moved on a bit. An interesting fact that they released that I wasn't aware of. The winner gets one of the other's old championship belts. So if Hmm. Tito beats Alberto... 
he gets one of his old WWE championship belts. If Del Rio beats Tito, he gets to take on one of Tito's UFC belts. Wow. I mean, clearly the, the, the more legitimate one is the UFC belt. So Hey, those WWE belts are nice. Even Ronda <laughs> has one. They're nice, but they're, you know, they're not. <laughs> they were, hey, are you saying that they were possibly handed to them in a predestined <laughs> circumstance? Is that what you're implying? Possibly. <laughs> I mean, they're still cool. They um, are still cool. I, 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 they are still cool, but if I'm Tito, I'm like, I don't want this this junk. He's got if a I'm bunch Del of Tito, UFC I'm like, oh, man, I just want a UFC belt. That's great. He's got a bunch of UFC belts. He doesn't have a WWE belt. Well, if Toys R Us was still in business, he could go buy one right now. Oh, that's messed up. <laughs> Damn. No. Pregnant Natalie brings the fire. Sure. <laughs> Your baby's going to come out spinning just words. Yeah, he's going to be a trash talker. He's going to be a scrappy one. No, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, interesting stuff. I, I'll be honest. That's, um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I know people who've had those belts made. They're not ridiculously difficult to do, but okay. <laughs> I'll say that and leave it at that. <clears throat> Moving on. UFC Tampa, Joanna versus Michelle Watterson. A lot of people in action. Mackenzie Dern, Cub Swanson, Cron Gracie. A lot of good stuff going on. It is a very fun matchup kind of card. But the main event, high stakes for the strawweight division. I think that... We're being given any, every indication that the winner of this one is probably the biggest threat to Weili Zhang, which is a big deal. Uh, I think Tatiana Suarez is going to need one more to prove she is back at, you know, world beater, female Habib levels. But I, so, you know, with Joanna's pedigree, with Michelle's popularity, I feel like that's enough reason why they're, the two girls are the main event. Um, also, Joanna's history. I feel like you really can't count her out. But stylistically, this is a very interesting fight. How do you see this one going down, Natalie? I'm excited for this fight because I really want to see Michelle Watterson get that title shot. So to me, she's been improving fight by fight since she started in the UFC. I think that's kind of undeniable. She's determined to make good on her mom champ claims you know and she knows a win over Joanna definitely will put her right in line for the next I think put her in line for the next title shot Tatiana Suarez you know I, when when Waterson last fought and won now I can't remember who she beat I think, but, I uh, think uh, Kovalkiewicz no yes uh -huh. and Dana White was like Waterson for the belt like he to him it was like outrageous he was looking at Tatiana Suarez but she's she's she got injured so um I don't know like I, I don't know if so I assume that she would have gotten the next shot had she not been injured. But if you think she might need another fight coming off of this this layoff, then, you know, that makes sense too. But Watterson is so marketable, right, super marketable. So I hope if she wins, the UFC is ready to run with, a, run with it, to make the most of it, put her on the talk shows, give her that title shot. It just makes sense. Like she has this really great story, the marketing pamphlets, uh, the press kits write themselves. So, and, and from that perspective, I'm excited. But really, looking at the bigger picture, the pressure's on Joanna, I think, a lot more, even though Michelle wants this title shot so badly. She's lost three of her last four fights. The only win was against Tisha Torres, who, you know, isn't really much of a challenge these days, no offense, but that's just how it's played out. Once again, spit and fire. Sorry. <laughs> it's, no, just, it's just, you know... She had a little burst, and it looked like she was going to break through, but she hasn't been able to, and I think it's just her size. You know, there's no atom weight division. She's she's muscular. She's added on the bulk that she's needed to to compete, but she's still just a little bit too small for this for this division. So anyway, uh, you know, Joanna's had almost, what, a year off? Yep. I'm super, super, super curious to see how she's evolved, if she's evolved her game, because if she hasn't, Waterston's going to have her number, right? From just looking at Joanna's career in the UFC, she was one of those fighters that came in ahead of the game, right? She had this amazing striking prowess, and it took a while for people to catch up to it. But once they figured her out, they started beating her. Rose Namajunas did it twice, and then Shevchenko, who's always had her number because she's beat her in, in Muay Thai as well. 
beat her again. So if she's not involved, Watterson, Jackson, Wink, you know they have a killer game plan to to shut her down. If she has evolved, it'll be great to see whatever new, as you say, wrinkles she's added to her game, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any knockout power, though. And and I don't think staying at 115 is going to give her any knockout power, no matter how much strength and conditioning she does. She's a volume striker. So what I think is if she keeps her distance, sticks and moves, she'll have a chance to outpoint Watterson. That's usually how she wins her fights anyway. Yeah, but Watterson, you know, again, if she has the right game plan, and puts on pressure in a way that disarms Joanna, that distracts her, then it could be a good fight. Joanna has great takedown defense, so so if that's part of Watterson's game plan, I don't think it'll work. But if there's something else that Watterson can bring to the table, I'm excited. I want to see what it is. I, I think to me, if you're Michelle Watterson, um, I'll talk about the intangibles with Joanna in a second because they're huge, obviously, like you brought up. But I think that at the end of the day, for Michelle, the best Michelle Watterson to beat the best Joanna, you have to execute a very comprehensive game plan. I don't mean just, you know, comp- I mean you need to set up your kicks. You need to mix up takedowns. You need to change levels. You need to be in her face the whole time. You have to execute a lot of things correctly because she gives up a lot in the height and everything else. Um, you could uh, argue the striking and everything else for Joanna is ahead of Michelle Watterson. The takedown defense is there. Um, I think that if you're Michelle, look, she, preparedness isn't a factor. A lot of those other things, you know, cardio, etc., skills, they're not a factor. She's one of the most well-rounded athletes in the strawweight division. That being said, I feel like we've seen Michelle Watterson's Achilles heel. When she's up against these skilled, bigger athletes, you are reminded why firepower is a very real factor in fights. And I do think that even though Joanna's not a knockout person, she is one of the tallest strawweights in the division. Um, she's never had a problem doing damage. Ask Jessica Andrade and others, you know, what it's like to be uh, peppered by her for 25 minutes. It, she carries that ability. Now, you know, once again, I think if you're Michelle Watterson, a 25-minute fight, chop away at the legs, take down all day. Chop away, clinch, take down. Doesn't, it's not going to be pretty. Michelle Watterson doesn't win a pretty fight against Joanna. It's making it ugly, being physical, etc., etc. That's how you get it done. With Joanna, you got to remember that when you talk about, okay, she lost to Rose Namajunas. Uh, people can't forget how good you, you thought Rose Namajunas was. You know, the loss to Jessica, you know, let's, let's put everything back in perspective. Same thing with Valentina Shevchenko. We are all aware of how good Valentina Shevchenko is. What she does to Joanna, she does to nearly every other woman who's not Amanda Nunes. You got to put the losses in context. So, you know, one once again now, yeah, she has lost a few. If you're talking about Joanna comes back and she is the same Joanna she was against Rose Namajunas in the second fight, that's still a handful of a fighter. Yeah. Plain and simple. If she comes back and is, you know, ring rust and all that, she's kind of taking a vacation, not necessarily worked on the skills, that is more concerning, obviously. Now, you know, the obviously most optimistic hope and what Joanna is, is I'm sure, going to start telling us starting tomorrow for media day and all that is that she has been, not just with the time off letting her body heal, but learning a few of the skills, maybe going back to the drawing board to add to the arsenal that she's already you know, acquired over her long career now. I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to the size and the ability to maintain the distance. I think at the end of the day, Joanna is ready. I think that, you know, she's a kickboxer. She knows how to take kicks from someone like a Michelle Watterson, from uh, Rose Namajunas. She has great takedown defense. You can't underestimate just how precise her punches are. I think it's a tougher fight because of the layoff. And I do believe Michelle Watterson is going to rise to the occasion. But I do think that there are just still too many factors in favor of Joanna. And I'm going to go unanimous decision. Michelle Watterson is going to fight like this is the biggest fight of her career. But so is Joanna. Yeah, that's true. They're both going to be coming at it. They both have a lot to lose, a lot to gain. I think... 
Watterson, yeah, pressure. You may said making it dirty, and yeah, I see it the same way. It's just pressure, intelligent pressure, and elusiveness. Like she can't just stand there because she'll get she'll get pieced up. I see it going to decision two, but I'm picking Watterson. I think she's going to be able to touch her more. I think she's going to be able to combine touching her more with holding her down or holding her against the cage more. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm going Watterson by a, by a decision. A little more of a smothering approach, you think? Yeah, it's not going to be, yeah, it's, it's not going to be like. She's not about to put on a clinic on the feet. Highlight reels that we want, yeah. you know, some, some, even though, even though I guess if we're going, if, if we just looked at their physiques and we said, if someone kicked, you know, if Joanna kicks uh, Michelle Watterson in the head and Watterson kicks Joanna in the head, who's going to, who's likely to make a bigger impact? Probably Watterson. She's just got more muscular legs. But who's more likely to, like, have the dexterity? Well, I don't know. It's a tough one. But in any case, I think Michelle has, even though she's smaller, I think she wins the power game on this. And that's going to include pressing her up against the cage and, yeah, smothering her. So, again, no uh, no 30-second knockout uh, highlight reel here. But I see Watterson doing it. I think, I think the mom champ thing. The game plan that she probably has, I think it's going to be enough to push her through to get the win. Well, there you have it. We are split on Sunday. We will have bragging rights. Either Joanna Jacek or Michelle Watterson will take it. Well, let, let's not jinx it because we're about to get into it. Um, we're hoping there will be a fight, but next week proves exactly why you can't even make that assumption. Next <laughs> week, UFC Boston. Dominic Reyes welcoming Chris Weidman to the light heavyweight division. And in the co-main event, Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez has been rescheduled. So there's a lot to talk about next week. We are hoping that the Joanna fight and Michelle Watterson fight does not have a, <clears throat> I'm going to call it an unfortunate event. So what are your thoughts on UFC Boston and these fights the second time around? This is actually a really good main and co-main because, one, Dominic Reyes is scary. Two, let's see how Weidman does in a new division. It hasn't been working out for a lot of a lot of fellows that go up one division, and especially the, the ones that are former champs like Luke Rockhold. Just, <laughs> just hasn't happened, so hopefully Weidman has better luck. But then Rodriguez-Stevens, which was an excellent fight, has now turned into like a grudge match, and there's all this animosity it's a much bigger fight than it was a month ago. So that's probably going to be the one that has the more fireworks. But I don't know. I mean, Reyes Weidman, Weidman has a lot to prove here as well. I think that for me, um, for Dominic Reyes, it's really like, hey, you know, you're welcoming this guy who's had some bad luck coming off a layoff. This is his opportunity. Let's be honest. In a couple weeks, we're about to be talking about Johnny Walker taking on Corey Anderson, calling out John Jones, and setting up the big fight in Vegas. This is Dominic Reyes' time to prove, hey, don't you be talking about this dude. Look, you got a killer already right here. And by the way, I'll be ready to go sooner than Johnny Walker. I think that that's really the storyline going in is, can Dominic Reyes have that fight, that performance, that you know, just put on a show, get everyone's attention. We've already d discussed enough times. It's not always if you win, it's how you do it. Johnny Walker's proven that how if you could do it well enough, you don't need to rack up as many. This is Dominic Reyes' time to prove, you know what, I am that good, and I am going to get it done. So I think that that's going to be the real storyline going in. Then if you're talking about uh, Rodriguez and Stevens, that's another huge one too. Yeah, and, and and going back, I have to do this because I'm just looking at the lineup for this Saturday. Going back to the, the upcoming Tampa card, the third to last fight is featuring some gentleman named Thomas Gifford, and he has the most beautiful long blonde hair. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm sorry to end it this way, but I just saw this guy and I was like, who, who is this, this fella? So, you know, hey, just look out for it. Thomas Gifford could be uh, the next, uh, the next, what's that guy's name that, 
that he's there the ring. Is there a Oh, the, no, 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 uh, the one that did the uh, Elias Theodoro. Yeah, it could be the next Elias Theodoro. So, what what division does Thomas fight in? Thomas Gifford is a lightweight, but he's six foot one. Thomas Gifford, UFC lightweight. I think that you just found your new biggest fan. <laughs> I wish you good luck this Saturday because I hate to hear Natalie be sad on our show. And you guys can catch us on social media. Uh, you can find me at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. Natalie, where will you um, <clears throat> be sharing your support of Mr. Gifford on social media? Are you looking at his photo right now? Is that why you're laughing? I am. I will, <laughs> I will be uh, tweeting about his hair at Natalie Zamudio underscore. All week. Guys, we'll be back next week and have a great one.